about the importance of us becoming more like Jesus. We talked the first two weeks about how that is possible, the things that are needed in our lives to, to enable us to become more like Jesus. And, and today I want to start talking about some of the things that characterize what we will look like when we become more like Jesus. You're in Galatians chapter number 5. I want to begin reading with verse number 13. Paul says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar about which I tell you in advance as I've told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love... Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for making it possible for us to become more like you by walking in the Spirit. And Lord Jesus, this morning, as as your word goes forth, I pray that you would give us a receptivity, God, to your word. Help us, Lord, each one to apply to our hearts Those things from your word today, Lord, that we have desperate need of in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are two ways for a follower of Jesus, yes, even a believer, a disciple, to live. We can live as a worldly follower of Jesus, or we can live as a spiritual follower of Jesus. Our text that we just read from tells us that living one's life as a spiritual disciple of Jesus is described as walking in the Spirit, while living one's life as a worldly disciple is described as one who carries out the desires of the flesh. Now, if you have that Bible app this morning, you might want to follow along because I'm going to be using three different translations of the word this morning, and they're all... They're all included on the Bible app for you today. Uh, But uh, the reason that I think it's important is I want to make it as 
as plain a language as I can possibly make it for each of us this morning to understand the importance of the Holy Spirit doing His desired work in each of our hearts and lives. The truth is that if we have been made spiritually alive by the Spirit of God, that old way of life, the way that we used to live, of carrying out the desires of the flesh, it's of no value. It's of no use to us anymore. That's what Paul's trying to make crystal clear for us. Receiving a new life in Christ requires that we learn how to live in a new and different way than what we've lived before. This is at least part of what I believe Jesus was talking about in in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 9, in verse number 17, where he said this, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, what's he talking about when he's talking about new wine? He's talking about that new wine that is in us that allows us to live life in a new way rather than carrying out the desires of the flesh. And that new wine specifically is the Holy Spirit of God. He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given us to help us learn how to live the new life that we now have in Christ. And by virtue of His power dwelling within us, we can be helped in learning how to live in a whole new way. That's what Christ-likeness is. Learning to live as Jesus lived. Now, Again, this is what Paul is referring to when he said in Philippians chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 12 and 13, that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in us, enabling us both to will and to act for his good purpose. Now, the reality of a of the life of a disciple of Jesus is that though we are not of the world, we are nevertheless still in the world. How many of you are in the world this morning? Several of us. I always like to have these little tests in the middle of my message. We are not of the world, but we are at the same time in the world. I like to describe it this way. As a child of God, we are not to be isolated from the world. Now, now some would say, oh, you know, we don't want anything to do with the world. That's not what you're here for. Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel. That's what we're here for. Now, you can't isolate yourself from the world and still preach the gospel to the world. But what God has provided for us instead of isolation is insulation. He has insulated us from the effects of the world upon us while we are yet in the world. We may be in the world, but we don't have to act like the world. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives in us. We we find ourselves constantly being bombarded with temptation to, to fall back into that old lifestyle that we used to live, those ways in which we have become all too familiar but that's why Paul tells us that the choi- making the choice to allow the Holy Spirit of God fill our lives 
is something that we need to do very purposefully and we need to do continually. What's he say in Ephesians chapter 5 verse number 18? He says there, be filled with the Spirit. Now what that means in the original language, if you look at the tense in which Paul writes those words, the literal translation is being and continuing to be filled with the Spirit, which indicates it's a continual process. Now if you need a picture uh, example of what I mean by that, imagine it in this way. Suppose you took a cup of water and you filled it to the brim of the glass where it cannot hold another drop without running over. You take that same glass of water and you take it outside where it's exposed to the elements of nature. What's going to happen to the water in the glass? It's going to evaporate. Which means that in order to keep it full... You have to keep adding water to it, right? That's the same idea that Paul is trying to convey to us. When he says be filled with the Spirit, he's saying to be filled with the Spirit and continue to be filled with the Spirit. When our new lives in Christ Jesus are bombarded daily with temptations, how many of you ever get tempted? How many of you have been tempted today? How many of you have been tempted in the last two minutes? When we're, when we're com- continually bombarded with temptation to fall back into our old lifestyle, it requires that we very intentionally and very deliberately and continuously purpose to be filled with the Spirit of God. So how do we deal with what I like to call those lures of temptation, those temptations that attempt to draw us back all the time into our old way of life. Well, Paul here discusses what I see to be three ways in which we attempt to deal with these temptations. Now, the first way that even disciples, believers in Jesus, sometimes attempt to deal with these temptations is they attempt to improve the flesh. Now, what does that mean? You see, because when Paul's speaking of the law, he's talking about the way of legalism. You can do this, you can do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. That's what he's referring to. And the idea that he is conveying here is that although we desire to live the new life we have in Christ, we seek to do so by our own energy and by our own ingenuity. In other words, we continue to spend time Walking in the flesh in an effort to improve the flesh. Now, what does that look like in practical terms? Well, I jotted down a few things just in case you were wondering. You say, well, I used to go to all kinds of movies. R-rated ones, X-rated ones. Now, as a follower of Jesus, I don't go to X-rated ones anymore. Or, or you may say, well, uh, 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 you know, I... Uh, I used to cuss every once in a while. Well, I still cuss, but I don't use God's name in vain. So I'm improving the flesh. Oh, and it can be even more religious than that. Perhaps you are one of those, what I call C&E Christians. Anyone know what a C&E Christian is? Christmas and Easter. 
I used to go to church on Christmas and Easter, but now I go every Sunday. Well, good for you. You're improving the flesh. You're putting another notch in your belt. And, and this attempt by way of legalism, Paul condemns. Now, I want you to hear the translation from the message of Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse number 2. Paul says, let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete their, by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? I, sometimes this, message, this translation of the message just gets a little too close, doesn't it? But he goes on. Listen to this. Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? It's not yet a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. Improving the flesh. Disciples of Jesus who live improving the flesh will invariably discover that the best they can do is cover up their own failures and imperfections behind a pretense of religiosity and judgmental attitudes. What does that mean? Well, I may not be perfect, but I'm better than Michael. Again, good for you. That's not walking in the Spirit. You're judging yourself and Michael according to the flesh. Now, another way in which some disciples of Jesus attempt to deal with the temptations to be drawn back to their old lifestyle is they just give up and they indulge the flesh. This is what I want to call the way of license. The disciple of Jesus surrenders to, to the flesh because they've tried to, to check all the do's and don'ts, the legalism. They have had no success in doing it, and so they just give up on improving the flesh and choose rather to just indulge in it. Um, they, they often mistake freedom in Christ as the freedom to sin without consequences. Remember what we talked about last week? Galatians 5, 7. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. They, 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 they mistake freedom in Christ as being free to go on sinning, but without consequence. God's not going to alter that law. He's not going to alter that whatever you sow, you're going to also reap. Freedom in Christ is about freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. And, and friends, this is where the whole belief system of eternal security falls flat. Now, I believe as, as believers we are secure in our salvation, right? Right? But that does not mean we can go on living the way we've always lived and expect to have no consequences. Freedom in Christ is freedom from sin. I'll give you another illustration. I heard the story of a woman who was walking down a residential street and she noticed this little old man 
rocking in a, in a chair on his porch. She walks past his house, and as she passes, she says, Hello there, I couldn't, I couldn't help but notice how happy you look. What is your secret for a long and happy life? And the little old man looked at her, and he said, I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. I also drink a case of whiskey every week. I eat nothing but fast food, and I never exercise. The woman was shocked, and she said, wow, how old are you? He said, 26. (laughs) Here's the fact. When a disciple of Jesus surrenders to to the flesh, one of the consequences is that they are miserable. Oh, friends, how many of you have ever experienced that kind of misery? (laughs) You you know there's things that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing because you belong to Jesus. How many of you have ever had to lay your head down on a pillow at night knowing that if Jesus came, you may or may not make it? That's a terrible feeling. I've been there and done that. But you see, here's what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter again. Verse number 20 and 21, he says, For if if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow, after washing itself, wallows in the mud. Now those things don't make sense to us, do they? But that's literally what we do if we try to indulge the flesh after having known the truth of a new life in Christ Jesus. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit grips our hearts and it leaves us miserable. Now, the third way of dealing with the temptation to return to your old way of life is the one that, G- that Paul says all of us who are disciples of Jesus ought to strive for. We should ignore the flesh. That's the way of freedom. Paul says that all who belong to Christ have died to their old way of life. It's dead to us, and now we're spiritually alive in Christ. There's nothing for us in our old way of life whatsoever. And we have to purpose this to be so daily. Choosing to ignore the flesh and instead acknowledging the new life that we have in the Spirit. For this, I like the amplified version of what Paul says about this, found in Romans chapter number 8. And I'm just going to give you verses 6 and verse 11. Paul says, We know that our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil that we might no longer be the slaves of sin. Even so yourselves, even so consider yourselves also dead to sin and your relation to it broken, but alive to God. And then the Amplified Version adds this, living in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Can I just say this to you? We've tossed a word around for too long in the church that is not even a scriptural word. It's the word backslide. 
You'll never find that in Scripture. you never find it. And what I want to say about it is, friends, yeah, you're saved. Yeah, you're on your way to heaven. And if you're still trying to live in the flesh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've backslid, but it does mean that you are out of fellowship with Jesus. And friends, there's nothing worse than being a child of God, but out of fellowship with the Father. That'd be like being, making yourself a prodigal. Isn't that what happened to the, in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? This son lived in the, in the house of the father. He had all the blessings, all of the provisions of the father. But he chose to walk away and walk out of fellowship with the father. And when he came back, after he came to his senses, the father restored him back to the place of full fellowship. You know what that prodigal experienced while he was out of the father's house? He experienced broken fellowship with his father. He was as a stranger to his father. He became miserable. And that's what will happen if we, if we try to improve the flesh all the while desiring to live a new life in Christ. Now that's the bad news. Here's the better news. Paul says three things as well about life in the Spirit. Look at verses 16 through 18. It talks about what life in the Spirit promises. When it comes to living a life of freedom in Jesus Christ, we just agree that we shouldn't indulge or try to improve the flesh, but ignore it, as we just said. And the key to doing that is by surrendering to the Spirit. What does that mean in practical terms? Okay, the Holy Spirit lives in us, right? He, he's living in us. He's desiring to do a work inside of us. But did you know that the Holy Spirit, being the perfect, gentle uh, uh, person of God, is not going to do anything that we don't say it's okay for Him to do? He's not going to do anything that will violate our will. If we want to live according to the flesh, he's going to let us do that. He's going to bring conviction to us about it. But what we need to do is say, Holy Spirit, if there are areas in my life, and I know that there are, that need to be made more like Jesus, I surrender myself to you to do your desired work. Surrendering to the Spirit. Paul is saying to us, there's a much better way to relate to the old way of living. The solution is not to worry about the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit. Now, if you don't believe that, we're going to play a little game here. Everybody ready to play a game? Here it is. I'm going to say to you, I do not want anybody in this room at this very moment thinking about a pink elephant. And suddenly, every one of you are thinking about a pink elephant. Right? But then if I set before you a freshly grilled cheeseburger with all of the condiments that you like on your burger and alongside it I put before you an order of homemade french fries and alongside of that a bowl of creamy bluebell vanilla ice cream sitting on top of a banana with hot fudge topping strawberries, pineapples sprinkled with lightly toasted almonds topped with a layer of whipped cream and a juicy red cherry on top. 
What happens to your thoughts about the pink elephant? If I eat all that, I'm going to look like <laughs> that. That accomplishes for you exactly what I told you not to do. You're now no longer thinking about a pink elephant. Why? Because I gave you something better to think about. And by the way, I guarantee you that drool running down the corners of your mouth is not from thinking about a pink elephant. That's why Paul can say to us and say with authority, my counsel is this, live freely, animated, and motivated by the Spirit of God, and then you won't feel the compulsions of selfishness. Friends, God's offered us something so much better than the old way of life. You know, I've heard people say, oh, when I came to Jesus, I had to give up this and this and this and this. Let me tell you what, friends, I've never given anything up for Jesus that he didn't more than replace likewise with something so much better. That's what he does. He gets my my mind off of those old lustful things of the flesh. And he replaces it with things like love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and kindness and meekness and self-control. You see how that works? We surrender our minds to the Holy Spirit. Life in the Spirit promises that if we focus on yielding our lives to the Spirit of God, we'll not find our lives continuing as they were before we trusted Christ. We'll be changed. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18. He said, what you'll find is you'll see your life changed from glory to glory. You'll find new heights, new levels of, of being Christ-like over a, over, the, over a week or over a month or over a year. You'll look back and say, I'm more like Jesus this year. I've changed from glory to glory. That's what it's about, friends. Paul says in Romans 8, 12, and again, this is from the message. He says, so don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. Secondly, Paul discusses what life in the Spirit prevents in verses 19 through 21. Now, it's important here that we note something about what Paul says in those three verses. He tells us that a saved person may from time to time lapse into sin. But he also tells us that an unsaved person lives in sin. He's speaking here of people who continue on in these sins with no sense of remorse, no desire to be free from them, people who do not want to stop sinning. Now, there's no getting around it here. Paul says that if a person's lifestyle, hear me on this, friends, if a person's lifestyle is characterized by these kinds of things, then there is serious doubt about the legitimacy of their salvation no matter what they might say. Hear me, friends. A true disciple of Jesus Christ cannot live like that without being miserable. 
Paul goes on to say again from the, or excuse me, the Apostle John says in the message in John, 1 John chapter number 3, So my ch- dear children, don't let anyone divert you from the truth. It's the person who acts right who is right. Just as we see it lived out in our righteous Messiah. Those who make a practice of sin are straight from the devil, the pioneer in the practice of sin. The Son of God entered the scene to abolish the devil's ways. People conceived and brought into life by God don't make a practice of sin. How could they? God's seed is deep within them, making them who they are. Now hear this. This is good. It's not in the nature of the God-begotten to practice and parade sin. And here's how you tell the difference between God's children and the devil's children. The one who won't practice righteous ways isn't from God, nor is the one who won't love brother or sister. And then John concludes that passage by saying this. It's really a simple test. The test, again, in case you missed it, the one who won't practice righteous ways isn't from God. And neither is the one who won't love brother or sister. Wow. I'm sure glad those aren't Terry's words. Those are the words of God through John. Living in the Spirit prevents us from living like we're lost. And living like we're lost only leads to us, as followers of Jesus, feeling miserable Trust me when I tell you that one of the greatest miseries of a follower of Jesus is to live in doubt of their salvation. Nothing worse. Speaking of salvation and assurance, let me just take a little rabbit trail here for a moment. I believe that there are three groups of people when it comes to believers. There are those who are sure but not secure. There are those who are secure but not sure. And there are those who are secure and sure about their salvation. Which category are you in? Let me tell you something, I'm secure and I'm sure because I know that that which I've committed against to to him will prevail against the day of his coming. I believe that my salvation is sure and how do I prove it? I prove it in the way that I live my life. My life has to reflect that change. As we learn to live in the spirit, the changes that will be brought about in our lives will enable us to not only be secure in our salvation but sure of our salvation again the apostle peter in second peter chapter number one says in verse 10 therefore brothers make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things what things well let's just go back and see what did he say the look what the apostle peter says he says if you do these things look at verse number three that second peter oh there we go he says if you do these things what things is he talking about look at verse six knowledge with self-control self-control with endurance endurance with godliness godliness with brotherly affection brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ the person who lacks these things and is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election sure. 
Peter is identifying two benefits that the Spirit's work in our lives will result in. One, we won't be confused about our relationship with Jesus. We know that we're saved. And secondly, we'll be commended when we're welcomed by Jesus in heaven. Our calling and our election have to be certain. Lastly, let me talk about what Paul says about what life in the Spirit produces in us. Living our lives yielded to the Spirit will produce Christ-like character in my life. And that's seen in the way that I conduct myself, which results in a life that is lived up to the standard that God expects of us. You know, though we're free from the the burden of the law and legalism, we're not free from its standard. Think about it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are we still bound by that? You bet we are. Thou shalt not kill. Are we bound by that? We are. Thou shalt not lie. Are we bound by that? That's the standards of the law. We're still bound by that even though we're not living under the law. However, as we walk in the Spirit, the life of Jesus Christ is released in us and His character is developed in us and as His life is lived through us, we become free. Then and only then can we be like Jesus. Then and only then can we live a life that's pleasing to our Heavenly Father. As we walk in the Spirit, we'll be helped to learn how to live out this new life that we have within You remember when when Jesus was involved in his ministry here on the earth? Uh, John talks about it in in the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. He says, the Word was made flesh, right, and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. The Word made flesh. His Word, His will, His law will be fleshed out in our lives. Do you get that? His characteristics will be fleshed out in the way that we live our lives. So how do I walk in the Spirit? Jesus said it best. He said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. And then look what he says next. Because you can do nothing without me. What's the fruit he's talking about? It's there in verse number 22 of Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, joy, peace. I got got them out of order, so I forgot them. But you, you get the idea. Those are the fruits of the Spirit that have to characterize your life. So guys, are you ready? Here's your recipe for the rest of your successful life as a disciple of Jesus. Daily ask the Spirit to to fill your life. Michael, read that for us. Stand up and read it real loud. Daily ask the Spirit to fill your life. Be willing to confess all sin. George. Amen. Investigate the scriptures, Leonard. Do what the Spirit tells you to do, Jerry. Amen. 
And lastly, enjoy the victory that's yours, Rod. I am able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. Do you believe those words this morning? You see, just one more thing, and, and I, I'm going to tell you something. I was all done with my message. It was done with that until Friday. And I had to add just one more thing. And it may sound like a rabbit trail, but it's really not because it's not going to be very long at all. My mind was taken back to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 9. I think the reason my mind was taken back there is because we were talking about Saul in our Wednesday evening Bible study, becoming the first king of Israel. And that whole story is told in 1 Samuel chapter number 9. And we find this first soon-to-be king of Israel, Saul, what's he doing? He's looking for his father's donkeys. You say, where in the world are you going to that? You see, Saul was unable to find his father's lost donkeys, and he's about to return to his father empty-handed. Are you with me? But his attendant said, Saul, I've heard of a man of God who might be able to help you with searching for these lost donkeys. So Saul and his attendant, they make their way to a man, a prophet, whose name is Samuel. They go to Samuel's house and Saul inquires of him concerning the lost donkeys that he's looking for. And Samuel has already been told by the Lord prior to Saul's coming that he was sending a man named Saul to him because he's going to anoint Saul to be the future king of Israel. And in in my paraphrase of 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse number 20, Samuel says to Saul, don't worry about the donkeys because they've been found. Instead, come to my table, Saul, for there's a far bigger issue at hand. You are about to be anointed to become the king of Israel. Now, why do I bring this up and what does it have to do with what we're talking about? Here's what I believe. The Lord is impressing upon my heart That like Saul, many of us are searching high and low for whatever our lost donkeys might be. Now let me expound on that. We desire to to bring to our Heavenly Father with something of substance that, that we're doing in our lives, that we're living for Jesus. We want to do something substantial for the kingdom of God. And, and, and uh, in spite of that desire, though, we wander aimlessly through our lives living for Jesus and return to the Father empty-handed. We struggle with jobs. We struggle with houses. We struggle with our careers. We struggle with relationships. And as important as those things might be, they're, they're only donkeys in comparison to the bigger issue. And you know what the bigger issue is? Service in the kingdom of God. Being available to serve in the kingdom of God. I say this because I believe today the Lord is calling some, some of us in this room to significant service in the kingdom of God. That means touching people's lives. That means impacting our community and our world with the good news of Jesus. So here's what I believe God is speaking to my heart and saying to us today. Don't set your mind on the donkeys. I know right... Uh, 
the Lord spoke through Samuel and he said to Saul, I know right where those donkeys are. But Saul, instead of worrying about the donkeys, come to my table and fellowship with me. Now here's the end of the story. What happens when you come to the table and fellowship with the Father? Well, when Saul went to Samuel's table, Samuel told him in chapter 9, verse number 27, stay for a while and I'll reveal the word of God to you. And then you move over to chapter number 10, verse number 1. It says that while there, Samuel anointed Saul to be the king. And then in verse number 2, finally, Samuel says to Saul, By the way, Saul, I know where your father's donkeys can be found. Now, what does all of that mean to us? If you want to walk in the Spirit, do what Saul did. Forget the donkeys, set aside your own agenda, and get involved with what Jesus wants to do with your life for the kingdom of God. And you know what the best part is? You you want to hear the best part? You, like Saul, will also find your lost donkeys. Jesus reiterated it. We talked about it last Sunday, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. Seek ye first... The kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to your life. Walking in the Spirit means surrendering to the call to service that God has for each and every one of us who belong to Him. Not to echo the words of the Apostle John, but It's really a simple test. Surrender yourselves to do what God wants to do through you. You know what? God has given each of us here today unique talents and skills and things that we can do that no one else can do for the kingdom of God as good as we can do them if we allow the Spirit of God to lead us, to guide us, and direct us. Musicians, would you come please? Seek first the kingdom. And not only will you be anointed by the Spirit with significant opportunities that God wants to open for your life, but you'll find what you've been searching for as well. Would you bow with me, please? Dear Jesus, this morning, I I believe that you really want to to impact our lives today. Lord, I I just have to believe that there are people in this room who have been doing their dead-level best to try to improve upon their old way of life. They've They've been doing it. It's been a struggle, but they're trying to improve. And Lord, what you are wanting to say to us through your Spirit this morning is that we need to stop trying to improve the flesh and rather just surrender to the Spirit to let Him work out what He wants to do inside of us. If we surrender to your Spirit this morning, He will do the heavy lifting for us and becoming more like you. It won't be such a struggle for us individually just trying to make ourselves better He wants to do that for us. 
if only we'll surrender to him. Look up just a second. I want, I want to share something with you. I spent many years of my life trying to prove that I was worthy of God's love. For me, it looked like this. God had blessed me. He'd given me abilities. And so I thought, well, the more that I do for the kingdom of God, the more God will love me and accept me. At one time in my life, I served as a deacon on the church board. I served as the Sunday school superintendent. I served as the church worship leader. I was the youth pastor. I was the choir director. I was pretty much anything anybody wanted me to be because I thought that would make God love me more. You know what it resulted in? It resulted in burnout. I I was so busy trying to keep all of those irons hot and working that I couldn't do a good job at any one of them. So it's not about what I did. It's about what God wanted to do in me. You want to know what the outcome of that was after I finally surrendered to the Spirit of God? Said, I can't do it anymore. Holy Spirit, you do it. He made me a pastor. It's my calling. And when you do what you're called to do, the satisfaction, the contentment. And I, I, you know what I was telling God all the time he was calling me to be a pastor, saying, oh, you need to go do this. I'd have people say, you need to come and preach for us. I don't preach. You need to. You know what I'm doing? I'm saying, God, I can't do that. And you know what I think the Spirit of God wanted to say to me? I know. I know you can't. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Surrender. I told you before, I took that pulpit the first Sunday that I ever preached a sermon. Scared to death. Because I had three minutes worth of content. How many of you know I've improved on that since then? I took that pulpit, and the minute my hands touched that pulpit, I knew this is where God has wanted me since the beginning. And by and large, I've been there every Sunday since. That's what surrendering to the Spirit will accomplish.